Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. Something that happened 63 years ago that's haunted me my entire life. I've never told anyone about it until now. By Sergeant Darwin. It's official. I'm an old man. For the past couple of years, I've comforted myself by saying that I'm in my early 70s. But math is simple and unforgiving. Today is my 75th birthday, and boy, do the years fly. I'm not here for your well wishes. This is hardly a milestone that I'm excited about. I'm glad to still be here, of course, but I find that I have less and less to live for with every passing year. My bones, they ache. My kids live far away, and the other side of my bed has been empty for just over eight months now. In fact, once I cast my vote against Trump this November, I may have nothing to live for at all. So, spare me your happy birthdays and your congratulations, if you please. I'm here because, well, I have a story for you. And it's one that I've never told before. I used to think that I kept it inside because it was silly. Or maybe because nobody would believe it. I've found, though, that the older you grow, the more exhausting it becomes to lie to yourself. If if I'm being perfectly honest, I've never told anybody this story because, well, it scares me almost to death. But death seems friendlier than it used to. So, listen close. The year was 1950. The setting, a small town in Maine. I was a boy of nine, rather small for my age, with only one friend in the world to speak of. 
and his family, seemingly on a whim, decided to move 2,000 miles away. It was... It was shaping up to be the worst summer of my life. My pop was around, and my mum, she was a chore whore. <laughs> Boy, was I proud of myself when I came up with that one. So, I wasn't apt to hang around the house. With some hesitation, I decided the public library was the place to be that summer. The library's collection of books, particularly children's books, was meagre to say the least. But within the walls of that miserly structure, I would find no undone chores, no nagging mother, God rest her soul, and perhaps, most importantly, no other children with whom I would be expected to associate. I was the only kid with a low enough social status to spend his precious days of freedom sulking amid the bookshelves, and that was just fine with me. The first half of my summer was even more dreadful than I had imagined it would be. I would sleep until 10, do my chores, and then ride my bike to the library. And by bike, I mean rusty log of shit attached to a pair of wheels. Once there, I would split my time between unintentionally annoying the elderly patrons and deliberately doing so. One pleasant lady actually interrupted my incessant tongue clicking to hiss a shut the fuck up at me. The first time that I ever heard a grown-up use the F word. A big fucking deal, I know, but in those days, it was unheard of. The dreary days turned to woeful weeks. I had actually begun praying for school to start again, until I discovered the basement. I could have sworn that I'd roamed every inch of that library. But one day, in the far corner behind the foreign language collection, I stumbled across a small wooden door that I had never seen before. And that was where it all began. The door was windowless and made from oak that looked far older than the wall on which it was rested. It had a knob of black metal that quite literally looked ancient. I wouldn't have been surprised to learn that it was crafted in the 17th century, in fact. Engraved on the knob was what appeared to be a single footprint. I had the sense that whatever lay behind this door was forbidden to me, and therefore probably the most interesting thing that I would encounter all summer. I quickly glanced around to make sure nobody was watching me, and then turned the heavy knob, slipped behind the door and shut it. There was nothing, only darkness. I took a couple of steps and then stopped, unnerved by the totality of the shadow which surrounded me. I waved my hands in front of me in an attempt to find a wall or shelf or anything to hold onto. What I actually found was far more subtle, a small string dangling from above, but far more useful. I grabbed it firmly and pulled it down. Back in the day, lots of light bulbs were operated with strings, and this was one of them. My surroundings were instantly illuminated. I was standing on a small, dusty platform that looked as though it hadn't seen life in quite some time. To my left was a crickety-ass spiral staircase, 
made of wood and appearing ready to collapse at any second. The bulb was the only source of light in the room, and it was feeble to say the least. So, when I peered over the railing to see what lay below, the bottom of the staircase dissolved into the darkness. I was... I was beginning to feel scared. This place, wherever I was, seemed to have no business in a town library. It was as though I were in a completely different building. But no nine-year-old likes to let a mystery go unsolved. Looking back, I wish I could tell my prepubescent self to just turn around, go back, do anything else besides descend that staircase... You'll be spared of a lot of sleepless nights, I'd say. But, of course, I didn't know that then. And I may not have listened, even if I had. So, instead of turning back, I took a deep breath, gripping the rail and glared resolutely forward as I began my descent. The wood on the railing was dry and covered with splinters. I immediately let go holding my hands out for balance as I carefully traversed the staircase. It was, or at least seemed, very long, and with only the dim glow from the string far above me, my heart pounded mercilessly in the darkness. Even kids can sense when something just isn't right. I think they just don't always give a shit as all. By the time my feet reached the cement floor at the bottom, the light from the bulb above was very nearly a memory. But there was a new light source. And God, I'll never forget it. Directly in front of me was a door, massive and a deep shade of red. The light was coming out from behind the door, and it shone out in thin lines from all four sides. A sinister, dimly glowing rectangle. For the second time, I took a deep breath and went through a door that I shouldn't have. In contrast to the dank room that I entered from, the room behind the door was blinding. When my eyes adjusted, what I saw nearly took my breath away. It was a library. The most perfect library imaginable. I gaped in wonder as I stepped, almost reverently, further into the room. It was beautiful. It was smaller than the library above, much smaller, but it seemed to be almost tailor-made for me. The shelves were packed with brightly colored titles, and both armchairs in the middle of the room were exquisitely comfortable, and the smell... My god, the smell was simply unbelievable. Sort of a, a mixture of citrus and pine. I, I simply can't do it justice with words. So, I'll suffice it to say that I've never smelled anything better. Not in my entire 75 years, in fact. But what was this room? Why had I never heard of it before? Why was nobody else here? Those were the questions that I should have been asking. But I was intoxicated. 
As I gazed around at all the books and basked in the smell of paradise, I could only form one thought. I will never be bored again. In truth, boredom only hid from me for three years. It was on my twelfth birthday, 63 years ago to this day, that everything changed. Before that day, I visited my basement sanctuary as often as I could. Usually several times a week, in fact. I never saw another soul down there, yet strangely remained free of suspicion. I never removed a book from that room, but instead would pick up a particular volume wherever I had stopped reading during my previous visit. I sat always in the same deep purple armchair, and always leaving its twin barren and directly across from myself. That armchair was mine. The other was, well, I suppose I couldn't have articulated it then much better than I can now. But it wasn't mine. That was for damn sure. On my twelfth birthday, I arrived later than usual. My mum had invited a couple of classmates and some cousins over to our house to celebrate, a gesture which I found more tedious than touching, really. I just wanted to spend my birthday sitting and reading and smelling paradise. Eventually, our guests went home and I made it to the library about 15 minutes before closing time. That didn't matter. The workers never checked down there before they locked up. I was free to stay as late as I wished. This particular night, I was devouring the final chapters of an epic adventure. Knights, swords, dragons, everything. I didn't smell it until I read the final words and closed the book, though. The once exquisite aroma of that room had turned sour. I sat for a moment, unsettled. Objectively, I could recognize that the smell was actually the same as it had been before. That mixture of citrus and pine. I just perceived it differently. And I didn't like it anymore. It was the nasal version of an optic illusion. You know, the one that looks like a young woman glancing backward. But all of a sudden, you can see that it's really an old woman facing towards you. You can't unsee that, and I couldn't unsmell this. The spell was broken. The odour also seemed, for the first time, to be coming from somewhere specific. With a fair amount of trepidation, I stalked around the room, sniffing the air like a crazed canine until I came to a shelf near the back. The shelf was perfectly normal, with the exception of one title, a large leather-bound cover of solid faded maroon, with one striking black footprint at the top of the spine. This, this right here, was the source of the smell. I opened the front cover, and saw one sentence scrawled neatly in blood-red ink atop the first page. Rest your sorrows down, friend and leave them where they lie. I stared at this sentence, mesmerized as I began to retreat to my chair. 
I turned a page, and it was blank. But the smell became stronger. Another page, blank, and the smell grew stronger still. I stopped for a moment, suppressing a gag, and continued walking. Then, as I neared the armchairs, I turned one final page, and there, in the same sinister print, was the last thing I expected to see. It was... it was my own name. I dropped the book, and I just began to sprint toward the door, but as I shifted my gaze forward... My heart leapt to my throat and I stopped in my tracks. The empty chair. It... It wasn't empty anymore. An aged man in a suit sat before me. One leg crossed over the other, contemplating me with piercing grey eyes and a light smirk. This was all too much. I fell to my knees and expelled the contents of my stomach onto the carpet. I wiped my mouth staring at my vomit when I heard the man let out a chuckle. I stared at him disbelievingly. Who are you? I asked, panic in my voice. The man leapt to his feet, grabbed me gently by the shoulders and helped me to my chair. He sat once again in his own. I fear that we got off to a bad start here, he said, glancing at the pile of sick on the carpet. The smell, it does take some getting used to. Who are you? I repeated. Tonight, you will know hardship like you've never before known, he said. I, I come as a friend, offering you refuge from it. And from all other storms which lie ahead. I wanted nothing more than to leave at that moment. But I remained seated. I asked him what he was talking about. Well, your mother is dead, my boy. By her own hand in her kitchen. The scene is gruesome, I must admit. He said in sorrowful tones. But... That there was a playful glint in his eye. Surely you wish to avoid this path. I can show you a safer one. My blood ran cold at the horrors this man spoke of. But I didn't believe him. What do you want with me? I demanded, trying to sound braver than I felt. He laughed an old, raspy yelp that seemed to shake him to his bones. <laughs> uh, nothing but your friendship, dear boy, he said. Then, sensing I found his answer inadequate, he expounded. I want you to come on a journey with me. My work is noble and you'll make a fine apprentice. And maybe, when I'm done, he sighed tiredly, running his bony fingers through his thin white hair. Maybe then... My work can be yours. I stood up, shuffling toward the door, but never breaking his gaze. You're crazy, I told him. My mum isn't dead. She's not. See for yourself, 
if you must, he said, gesturing toward the door. I threw him a contemptuous glare and bolted for the exit. As my hand closed around the knob, he said my name softly. In spite of myself, I turned around. Your road won't be easy, friend. If it ever becomes too much for you, and I mean ever, he said, pausing to sweep his hand over the room. You know where to find me. I slammed the door behind me and took the decrepit stairs two at a time. I exited the library, clambered onto my bike and hightailed it straight home. The front door was wide open. I dismounted, leaving my bike in a heap on the ground and approached the house cautiously. The old man was lying. He must have been. Still, tears began to sting my eyes. My heart pounding, I stepped inside and called out for my mother. I heard no answer, so I turned into the kitchen. To this day, I don't know why she did it. I've lived in that small town in Maine my entire life, although I've kept mostly clear of the public library. Well, once in my late 20s, I summoned the courage to step inside. Life was good at the time, and my fear had begun to morph into idle curiosity. Where the door to my basement sanctuary once stood was only a blank wall. I asked the librarian what had become of that basement, though in my heart I knew the answer. There was no basement, she said. There had never been a basement. In fact, if she had her facts correctly, city zoning ordinances prohibited a basement in that area. I've been haunted by that sickly sweet smell and that poisonous blend of citrus and pine ever since that long ago birthday. When I saw my mother in the kitchen that day, collapsed in a pool of her own blood, I... I smelt it. When a man, claiming to be my father, knocked to my college apartment door, begged me for money and beat me within an inch of my life when I refused, I smelt it then too. When my wife miscarried our second child, I smelt it. And again, when she miscarried our fourth. When our oldest son got behind the wheel of a family Buick, completely shit-faced and got his girlfriend killed, I smelt it. I began to smell it periodically as my wife became sick. She died late last year, and now I'm alone for the first time in more than half a century. Now I smell it every day, and it feels like an invitation. A few months ago, I went back to the library and the small oak door with the ancient handle... It was there, right where it used to be. My evening walk has brought me past that library every day since, but I haven't gone inside. Maybe, maybe tonight I will. I'm, I'm frightened to die, yes, but lately 
I'm even more frightened to keep living. The old man was right. My road, it hasn't been easy, and I doubt that it's ever going to get any easier. Rest your sorrows down, friend, and leave them where they lie. He promised relief. A refuge, he said. Was he right about that too? Well, there's only one way to find out. After all, I still know where to find him. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the next story to thank you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. If you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour, to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot b-u-s-t-a at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the next story. The worst part about delivering pizzas is the families, by Dante Apar. Delivering pizzas, it's a shit job, especially when you're a squirrely kid like me. I'm not exactly intimidating or threatening to anyone, nor particularly nice, so I also got some pretty shit tips. But it's not the pay that's keeping me from going back. (laughs) I really wish that I could say it was, in fact. It started a few days ago, a normal day like any other. It was a Friday afternoon. A usually busy time, and that night was no exception. I recognized a few repeat customers' addresses in the order log. I offered to pick up a couple of runs, and the manager loaded up the bag and sent me on my way. I got to the first house after a few minutes. I always liked this family. The parents were nice, and they had a cute daughter who would sometimes enter the door, which usually led me stammering through my words. I rung the doorbell and waited patiently. Finally, the door opened. I was surprised, though, to not see a face that I recognized. It was an older gentleman, and he had a jolly face and dark bags under his eyes, and a thin smile that parted his face, showing his yellow-stained teeth. Well, hello there, boy, he said to me, his breath striking my nose. Ah, hi, I nearly whispered. Ah, 1764 is the total, I said while handing him the food. Part of me wanted to ask where the rest of the family was, but I didn't want to be intrusive. The old man reached into his pocket and pulled out an old wrinkly $20 bill and slowly extended his hand, his spindly fingers shaking as he passed me the money. Keep the change, my boy, his frail voice told me. Uh, thanks, I said, my skin crawling for some reason. I began to walk away when the old man got my attention. He reached his hand out and grasped my arm, his fingers icy and weak, 
I let out a small gasp of surprise and looked at the man in shock. He glared down at me, that slit of a smile never leaving his face. You're untouched, aren't you, boy? The grey man said. What? I stammered. I... What? Don't play coy with me, boy. I know a virgin when I see one. The old man licked his thin lips while looking me up and down. I shoved him back, his weak body falling back into the house, and I bolted, leaving the door swinging wide open behind me. I nearly crashed my car, trying to leave the driveway, and my heart slamming through my chest as I struggled to steer the car through the crowded streets. I couldn't believe what had just happened. My skin was covered in bumps, and a cold sweat was running down my back. My breath was shaking as well as my hands, and I was on autopilot. I drove straight back to the shop, a full bag of food still sitting next to me. I walked inside, and my face, it must have been white. I tried to explain to my boss what happened, but he showed little sympathy, and sent me back on my way after scolding me for a few seconds. I managed to calm down a little bit, the drive under the town lights soothing me. The next delivery was about a 20 minute drive and it gave me some time to decompress. The house was out of town a ways, on a country road surrounded by trees. I had never delivered there before but I knew I didn't like it. I apprehensively walked to the front door. I knocked three times and held my breath on each occasion. To my relief, it was a young girl, maybe only three years older than me. She was really cute too and answered with a smile. I handed her the food with a dumb smile on my face and then stood there awkwardly for a moment. She gave me a strange look and I finally realized that she was waiting for... Oh, sorry, um... Yeah, it's 12.89, I said as I looked down, fumbling through my bag looking for her receipt. Keep the change, my boy. I heard a voice say. I looked up to see the same old man, his hand extending with a 20. The breath was stolen from my lungs as I stepped back in fear. The last family didn't work out, he said. I'll keep trying. One of them has got to have some fresh meat, right? I dropped the food and ran. My mind not being able to process anything that was happening. I drove so fast that I thought for sure I was going to lose control a few times. I returned to the shop with my eyes glued open. No money or food to give my boss. And needless to say, he was angry, threatening to fire me if this happened again. I I pleaded with him, begging him to understand. He must have heard the seriousness in my voice because he began to ease up on me, explaining that I can stay in the shop for the rest of the night as long as I help clean at the end of the night. And I agreed, quickly. The agreement didn't last long, though. One of the drivers claimed that he was sick and left. Really, he just wanted to go and get drunk with his friends. The first order came in since the driver left. 
and the manager took the order down and showed me the log. My blood, it chilled. It was, it was my address. I desperately tried to explain to my boss why I couldn't do it. And he told me that I sounded insane. That I'm going to my own house and shouldn't have to worry about anything. He wasn't going to budge. I waited in the kitchen for 30 minutes, dreading every minute, when the manager told me that the food was ready and it was time to go. I took the food with trembling hands and got into my car. On the way over, I called my mum, and she answered nicely. Hey, are you delivering? My body rested in ease. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll see you soon, okay? That was about the gist of our conversation. My nerves calmed, knowing that she was home. I got there moments later, walking to the door with slight apprehension. I didn't bother knocking since, well, you know, it's my house and all. I walked inside, and my mother and my sister sitting in the living room watching a movie. They both said hi and my mother stood up to pay me. She fumbled through her purse quickly and scoffed. Uh, honey, go in the kitchen and, and get my money on the counter. I started into the kitchen, looking around for her money. My mother hollered something out to me that was muffled from the hall, and I shouted back, what? Uh, I forgot to tell you that your friend from work is here. Uh, he's using the bathroom. She shouted back. I gulped, my blood running cold again. I looked down the hall to the bathroom, my heart pounding in my ears as... I watched the knob turn. The door swung open into the hallway. The old man emerging from behind it. I dropped the bag I was holding, and my jaw dropping just as low. The man slowly closed the bathroom door behind him, and he looked at me with a wispy smile. Well, hello again there, my boy. I backed into the kitchen. No entrance to be found. And he walked down the hallway slowly, his yellow teeth jumping from his mouth. He closed in on me quickly and I tried to scream but I couldn't. His hands reached out towards my face, his icy fingers grabbing my cheeks. He pulled me in, his mouth open and lips wiggling. Just as his mouth reached mine, a fine black smoke burst from his lungs. It drained into me like soot to a chimney, my whole body feeling limp and lifeless. The assault... It lasted only seconds, my body finally collapsing to the floor where his bony fingers released me. The man quickly left the room and only moments after that, I heard the front door close. I sat in the fetal position, my heart exploding and my eyes tearing. My mother found me minutes later, pleading to know what happened. I couldn't find the words to explain to her, and I simply stammered and murmured nonsense as I felt my insides burning. It's been three days now, and everything I eat, I puke back up. Same for drinking. I haven't been able to use the bathroom either. 
I've been getting massive migraines and I've fainted twice. My eyes are constantly bloodshot and my ears ring with no rest. My gums are turning a sickening dark maroon and my breath is hideous. But that's nothing though. I would take all of those things over what happened last night. I had just gotten done with a puking fit and I was laying on the bathroom floor. The cold tiles felt nice on my back, as did my hand rubbing my upset stomach. I sat there for a weary half an hour, waiting for another feeling of nausea. In that silence and in that calm, I ran my hand along my belly and felt something that I never want to feel again. There was a kick. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.